You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time to talk Sixers. Ben double the Oh, baby! Ben Simmons between the legs, and then he rocks the rim! Here on the broadcast, the official podcast of Sixers.com. Here's a steal by Covington. A three ball is in the air, and good! Robert Covington pours in another three! Now... Here's today's episode. Could it be a fifth and final game day of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals for the 76ers? That indeed is the team's hope as they take on the Miami Heat in game number five at the center later on on Tuesday nights. Brian Seltzer welcoming you back for a playoff episode of the broadcast. Thanks, as always, for checking it out. On this edition of the podcast, we're going to hear from Ian Begley of ESPN, who has been on assignment covering the Sixers Heat Series over the last week and a half. And we're also going to touch base with J.J. Redick for a couple minutes. We'll get his thoughts on the state of the series. It's... Get ready for the buzzword again, physicality and toughness, and also the emergence of one of the Sixers' young studs over the course of the four games that have been played so far in the series. Before we get started, reminders that to subscribe to the podcast, you can head to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, type in Sixers Podcast Network. That will take you to our feeds. We would love to have you as a subscriber if you are not yet one already. Ian Begley in a moment, J.J. Redick right now. It was a sight to behold the way that Game 4 finished Saturday in Miami. Pretty much an unscathed two-handed dunking drive by Ben Simmons, the rack, to put the Sixers up three with less than a minute to go. And then after Miami cut it to one one more time on a Dwayne Wade basket, there was another wide-open opportunity, this time for J.J. Redick on the baseline in the corner. He sunk it. And that put the Sixers up 104-101. to Wade split free throws. Redick got the rebound. And the Sixers would go on to take it 106-102 thanks to a couple free throws in the closing moments of regulation. And it was just a great 
resilient victory, of course, for the Sixers on the road, hostile territory on Saturday. Miami up against it. The prevailing thinking was that Miami could ill afford to go back to the center in South Philly with a three-games-to-one deficit, but the Sixers were able to impose their will in crunch time. They overcame the 27 turnovers, a cause for much discussion of need for improvement in recent days, and they got the job done. And now they're on the cusp of advancing to the Eastern Conference semifinals round for the first time since 2012. After Tuesday's shoot-around at the 76ers training complex in Camden, had the chance to chat with J.J. Redick, who's got eight three-pointers in the postseason and coming off of a 24-point team-high effort in Saturday's dub. I feel like, J.J., you would have good perspective on something like this. What can be asked about the 76ers Heat Series at this stage going into Game 5 that has not yet already been asked? Um, who hates each other the most? between the two teams <laughs> uh there's it's it's been a very competitive and physical and at times maybe contentious series it's been just it's been good playoff basketball um and it's uh you know I, if you've listened to me talk about the heat over the last um you know i guess it'd be 10 days um I keep saying like they're just they're they're a great group, a great team. I have so much respect for their organization, their their players, their guys, their coaches. Um, you know, it, it takes uh, a championship effort to beat a championship level team, and and that's what we're going to need uh, tonight. When you go back and look at Game Four, you had one of the key shots, Ben, with the dunk right before you. What is it about the design of the Sixers' offense that puts enough pressure on an opponent where there's so much that has to be accounted for? That was something that Eric Spolster was talking about after the game. There was just a lot going on and breakdowns that happened because of it. Um, well, you know, our closing plays the last five or six minutes of the game, uh, I would say the, the vast majority of them involve some sort of action. Um, either between me and Joe, me and Ben, or the three of us. And uh, the defense, you know, has to make decisions. We're, we're trying to put them um, at a disadvantage where they have to, you know, either switch on to, to Ben or, or show off my ball screen on Ben, um, which they tried, and Ben got the dunk. And then I slipped out the next time and played the rifle game with Joe. So there's just, you know, that that's kind of um, the the – sort of concepts that we've been developing all season even going back to October was like we're going to finish with you know a set group of plays that involve some sort of action with the three of us and as we've gotten better as the season has gone along there's um, continuity to all of those actions where if if the first action or the section second action doesn't work you know we immediately can can instinctually go into the next play. You spoke highly about Ben's leadership after the game in Miami on Saturday. Can you give an example, a story in recent weeks, something that really stood out to you, something that he did, something that allowed him to take control? Um, you know, I don't know if it's one specific thing because it, it, it's just been his overall demeanor and his um, his level of uh, talk, his how vocal he's been, how demonstrative he's been. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, he's like blossoming, um, you know, right before us. I mean, it's, it's awesome to see. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a comfort level that anybody has to have as a rookie, as a young player, 
where you know you're you're testing your own limits you're pushing your own boundaries as a player and as you get more and more comfortable then the other stuff starts to happen um you know you you start recognizing situations um you become a better teammate you uh you become a better leader and and ben is sort of doing all those things uh at a very high level at a very high, on a very high stage a very you know big stage that the, the playoffs and um it's it's just a pleasure to see i mean i, I take as much I, I like i take a ton of pride in my own play and in our team's play but um you know i i i i'm i'm like a proud older brother uncle <laughs> you know to some of these young guys like i really i i you know part of i hope that my legacy my legacy as a player is not going to be as a hall of famer <laughs> or an all-star or anything like that. And I think part of what I hope my legacy is, is that, you know, I was, um, you know, I, I got to see these guys sort of blossom into the players and, and champions that I know they'll eventually become. And I got to be a part of that. Good stuff from JJ Reddick. Thanks so much. All right, you got it. Thanks. JJ Reddick, always an excellent quote, great depth of thought per usual from the 12th-year veteran back in the postseason for the 12th time in as many years as a pro. And you could tell just how impressed he's been, by the way. Simmons, in particular, has conducted his duty performing on the court and as an emerging leader inside the 76ers locker room. A guy who has been on the Sixers' heat beat since Game 1 of the series, which certainly feels like a long time ago low, 10 days ago, is Ian Begley from ESPN.com. His regular assignment is to cover the New York Knicks. We will not let this podcast chat go by without addressing what's going on up the Jersey Turnpike at the Garden in Manhattan. But Ian, great seeing you, man. Thanks so much for taking a few moments. Brian, what's happening, man? So this series, four games in, to me, it almost feels like the series has been played out over four months, and this is game like number 40 or 50. It's in that type of demanding series. What have been some of your takeaways from what we've seen so far? I mean, especially you talk about game four. It just reminded me of that old school Eastern Conference. Uh, let's beat each other up. Uh, let, let's be physical. Let's foul hard. Let, let's really uh, not allow any easy shots, easy layups. It was that kind of game. It reminded me of those like – old, uh, you know, Knicks heat series in the, the mid-90s where it was just so physical. And, the, you know, these teams are still scoring. They're still getting over 100 points because of the three-point shot. But it just the physicality of this series has been a lot of fun to view uh, from a neutral standpoint. And you guys, I mean, the Sixers have been incredibly impressive with the way they've handled the physical nature of this series. Uh, by and large, uh, they've kind of stayed within themselves. And as Brett Brown has said, kind of continue to do what they wanted to do despite uh, the physicality of the heat. So that's that's one impression that I've that I've drawn over the first four games here. Definitely want to get into that in a bit, but just sticking on the theme of the physicality of the series, you can look around the league and you can definitely see how it's, I guess the perception is more of a finesse game now than it was 15 or 20 years ago. But hearing Brett Brown, Eric Spolstra, analysts who are covering the game talk about it, it seems like there's a real appreciation for just how hard both teams are playing. And yeah, there's incidents that we've seen like double technicals and mask stomping, but 
it seems like the, the coaches are viewing it like, hey, hey, I, I know people are asking about this because it's not the typical thing you see, but there's nothing wrong with this. This is just competitive basketball. Yeah, playoff intensity uh, is what Brett Brown chalked up Justice Winslow uh, stepping on Joel Embiid's goggles too, which was a fun moment to say the least. And then also, you know, you, you think about the second quarter, game four, when James Johnson and Robert Covington get into it and Ben Simmons gets involved and, you know, players, coaches get on the floor. Afterward, asking questions about that scenario, you know, players and coaches said, hey, that's just part of where we are in this series, part of the intensity of this series. And no one really has an issue with it. It's just how things tend to ramp up uh, in the playoffs. And in a series where you're going to play the same team, you're seeing the same players over the course of two weeks, and there's going to be some uh, animosity over the course of of four games. It's just only natural when you're dealing with uh, players who are as competitive as these two teams are and these coaching staffs are. I think J.J. Redick put it a great way. It was like, I think maybe before game three, he was like, we're not at the despise each other level yet. <laughs> and then it's like now after game four, you kind of wonder, you know, the longer it goes on where the uh, the views of each team and their feelings about each other, where they might stand. <laughs> yeah, I think we, 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 we might be getting there. And I think if we get to game six, I think we certainly will get there. No easy task for the Heat to have come into South Philadelphia for game two and take that game. No easy task for the 76ers to go on the road and sweep the trip down to Miami. Just how hard is that for a club to do for the amount of time you've been covering the league at this time of year? I mean, winning on the road in the regular season is difficult. Even, you know, the top teams in the league oftentimes have have trouble on the road. Um, But in the playoffs, it's such a different animal uh, simply because – you are seeing the same team again and again and again. So your your preparation level and, and your ability to adjust game to game increases exponentially. So what the Sixers were able to do in Miami was, was so impressive to me because of that and because of the idea that, you know, the narrative around this club is inexperienced. They haven't been uh, – they haven't played on this stage. They haven't proven anything on this stage. Well, they're proving it. They're showing – the NBA fan out there and opposing teams out there that they can handle this stage, they can win on this stage. And to me, that's one of the most impressive takeaways of what the Sixers were able to do in Miami in games three and four. Because you look at the two heads of the snake for the 76ers, not just immediately, but you have to think for the franchise's long-term plans and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And the talent is obvious. I mean, Joel can, after three weeks, essentially just get on the court and have a massively gargantuan defensive impact um, and Ben Simmons is doing things that only, you know, you could probably count on less than, you know, the number of fingers you have on one hand what people have done. Um, but it also seems like there's an innate intelligence factor that both players have and, like, this poise. And that, to me, seems like it's being amplified more now that we're in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's the poise that's that's really impressive to me. And, and you know, the inner confidence is there, and I don't think it – crosses the line into a, a cockiness or, or an overconfidence where maybe that kind of attitude gets you in trouble. It's just an inner belief, and I don't think it's just Ben and Joel. I think it's the group as a whole, an inner belief that, hey, we belong here. Uh, we're the third seed for a reason. We won home court. We earned home court for a reason. We can perform on this stage, and I think that's what we've seen you know, over the first four games with this club, particularly after game two where – it would have been, I think, easy for a, a group that wasn't so sure of itself to kind of fold a little bit under the bright lights of Game 3 after Dwayne Wade 
comes into Philly and does what he does, 28 points off the bench. Maybe you're a little shaken after that game, but that wasn't the case at all. Uh, Embiid comes back, delivers on both ends of the floor, and, and you guys ultimately uh, sweep those two games against the Heat. So just very impressive. And to bring it back to uh, Joel and Ben, one of the fun things in this series to me has been listening to Dwayne Wade talk about Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, Dwayne has known Ben since he was in high school because I guess Ben spent some time in, in workouts uh, with LeBron and Dwayne when he was younger. Dwayne was impressed with Ben then, and I think his respect for Ben has kind of gone through the roof during this series because he's spoken again and again about his ability to dictate the game. The game is played on Ben's terms when Ben has had the ball in this series and the way he's performed for his age and for his experience level at this stage is just impressive. That's something and maybe just being in it day to day with the 76 over the course of the season it stands out more but that was really um, something that was noteworthy over the course of the regular season was that there were veterans in the league guys like Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, obviously LeBron James who sounded very genuine in the praise that they were giving some of the young talent on the Sixers roster that you don't always hear it coming from those guys every now and then. Um, and the other thing, too, do you get the impression from being around the Sixers that even some of the veteran personalities on the Sixers roster itself, a guy like J.J. Redick, who, hey, he's been in the playoffs 12 times in 12 years, he could certainly want to have a very loud voice. And not to say that he doesn't, or Amir Johnson, a guy who's been in the playoffs, Marco Bellinelli. It's like some of those veterans are willing to defer to Joel and Ben and let their leadership grow throughout this whole entire situation. I think it's you really hit it on the head, and that's an important part of uh, a team building and this team dynamic. And I think that's probably a credit to, A, those veterans, and, and B, management and the coaching staff for putting a great blend of, of veterans and young players together and the right veterans, veterans who are okay with deferring both the stage and maybe some of the leadership roles to these younger players. Uh, and that's, you know, around the league, you know, we look at sometimes these teams that are quote-unquote you know, tanking or, or losing for purposes of, of obtaining a higher draft pick and, or who are in the process of trying to rebuild. And I think the way to get it right is to have this balance with a veteran presence in a locker room combined with these younger players so the younger players can learn from the veterans if you have just young players you know we've seen it in so many different places things go sideways and there's no one in that locker room who's been through a difficult time before who can kind of steer the ship in those tough times and I think what we see with the Sixers roster is that great balance with veterans who have been there before and these young talented players and it's just a perfect blend and I think that's what we're seeing so far in the playoffs. If you can remember back to the fall, do you remember hearing anything that stood out about what people's expectations were for the 76ers this season? What would have constituted in their mind a fair, appropriate showing for the team this season? I think generally if you ask that question to a lot of people who paid attention to what you guys have been through, uh, you know, the past four years, it would have been getting to the playoffs. You know, get eighth seed, seventh seed, sixth seed, get into the playoffs and, and see what you can do. So I think that in a general sense, uh, maybe it was different locally. Maybe it was different in the locker room. Maybe it was different among the coaching staff. But from an outsider's perspective, I, I would have thought of that, and I think a lot of people would have thought of that as success for the Sixers for this season. So certainly the way things played out with you guys winning more than 50 games, with you guys getting home court advantage, getting the third seed in the East, I think you very much exceeded those expectations. And I think, you know, so far, you know, I want to give the Miami Heat a lot of credit for how they have handled uh, between game adjustments and how they have, have then, you know, 
uh, acted out appropriately that game plan in the following game because they've been fantastic. Eric Spolster's club has been fantastic. But the idea that Philly now sits here 3-1 lead seemingly has command of this series. I mean, it, it just shows to me another example of you guys kind of exceeding those outside expectations for this club if we go way back to October. I think something that can't be taken for granted either, and I know that it's not, is just Dwayne Wade has been so much fun to watch in this series. Vintage, time warp, throwback performances. Incredible. I mean, that game two performance when he had 28 off the bench, uh, he was just fantastic. And it it just, it it must be... uh, I don't know. I don't know how to how best to term it, but I just imagine being one of these younger Sixers players in the other locker room, on the other end of the floor, watching a guy who you've probably watched when you were a kid growing up watching the NBA. Now you're playing against him, and you're seeing his brilliance on the court. It just must be interesting, interesting, and it must be educational for some of these younger Sixers players to watch Dwayne Wade work and see how he operates on this stage, even at age 36 he's still so effective uh, so I you know I think about it in those terms as well before we sat down and do this I was thinking so you cover the Knicks on a regular basis for ESPN and the 76ers first matchup of the season against the Knicks was that Christmas Day game and at the time the Sixers were kind of mired in a tough stretch they were four games under 500 and as the season played on there were different pieces that were added how would you track the growth of the Sixers from that point on? Because after it was really starting with that Christmas matinee win at the Knicks where they took off, and, I mean, it's crazy. From there, they only lost 12 times the rest of the season. I remember that day, uh, you know, Joel Embiid just making so many big plays uh, late in that game uh, to really lift his team. And it was also one of those games where it seems to happen a lot against the Knicks where I think T.J. McConnell had his fingerprints all over that win. Uh, And it just showed to me that, that you have it wasn't just about Ben Simmons and Embiid but you got you had different pieces on this roster that were so complementary of one another the example that day being McConnell but obviously you know there are so many more uh, pieces than that and I think if you if you listen to Brett Brown and and I've gotten a chance to to listen to him you know dissect so many different things over the last week or so you know he's talked about the the inner confidence of the group growing back in from that, you know, maybe from that game, maybe not that game, but around that time, uh, he pointed to the home record since that point and just the idea that everything was trending in such a great direction and, and, and the momentum was going in such a good place for this team. And I think that's that's a credit to, to the coaching staff and to the players that they were able to continue that momentum from the end of the regular season into the postseason. And we've seen what we've seen over the past four games against the Heat. You step back and you think about big picture over the next couple seasons. I mean, the Atlantic Division, and you see a lot of it, that has the chance to be something like what we saw in some of the great Western Conference divisions in recent decades mm-hmm. when the Pacific was rolling. I mean, even I know people kind of look at Brooklyn right now and wonder what it's going to pan out, but if they hit on a couple things, I mean, there's mm-hmm. young cores that are developing in all five of the teams. There's no doubt. I mean, I think the uh, you obviously look at, you and you look at the Celtics and and obviously the Raptors. Um, It's just incredible to me the idea that, uh, unfortunately for the Knicks, they seem to be the team with the most question marks right now. Even though, you know, they have all their first-round draft picks going forward, which is not something you could say about the franchise in years past. So that's a positive. But they're looking for a head coach. They have to figure out the situation with Kristaps Porzingis. Porzingis. Um, So there's uncertainty there. But I think even there, 
you can see a path forward for them where they have a chance to put together an impressive young core through the draft around Porzingis, and if they get the coaching higher right, they have a chance to have this young nucleus uh, similar to not, I don't think, equal to what you guys have done here, but certainly similar in scope um, to what Philadelphia has done. And then you see what Boston has. And it's just, it is, it is really impressive the way if things break right for these teams, the way this Atlantic could look, you know, for the next five to 10 years, it's particularly here. And then obviously you have to look at Boston too, which puts with what they have put together um, with uh, obviously Gordon Hayward and those young guys. It's just, it's going to be fun to watch if you're a, a basketball fan in the, in the Northeast over the next few years. It's before lunch on, on Monday, April 23rd, so things could change dramatically. Who knows at any point in time, but what's the la- what can you tell us? What's the latest from what's happening up at Madison Square Garden? So they're in the midst of a coaching search right now. Um, you know, they've talked to several candidates. Uh, I believe they talked to Atlanta coach Mike Budenholzer on Sunday, and I think they have an interview with David Blatt, the ex-Cavs coach, on tap this coming week. Uh, I think going into this thing, Uh, A lot of people up there felt good about David Fisdale. Uh, He had a lot of support in the organization. I think a lot of people felt good about Jerry Stackhouse. And I think uh, Mark Jackson had his supporters in the organization. Um, I'm not – I don't want to misstate anything uh, that's happened since because there have been interviews and I'm sure impressions have changed, uh, specifically how they've changed. I'm not sure, but I do know that – Stackhouse impressed in his interview and, and Fisdale impressed in his interview. It's just going to it's going to be interesting to see how the process takes shape from here because, you know, there could be other coaches who come available. Um, so maybe the Knicks wait that out and see if someone else becomes available. Uh, but they also have to be cognizant of the idea that there are so many other teams that are looking for coaches. So there's a lot of competition on this market. So do you, do you have to strike now or can you wait it out? I think that's a delicate balance. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how Nick management plays this out in the coming days and weeks. Good stuff. Ian, thanks so much, man. Great seeing you around. Brian, thanks for having me, man. Ian Begley from ESPN.com, at Ian Begley on Twitter. Follow him there and read all of his great work. Coming from his coverage of the Sixers and Heat Series. Big thanks to Ian for a few minutes. Also to J.J. Redick as well. And thank you for checking out the podcast. Game number 5, 76ers trying to wrap this thing up later on tonight at the center at 8 o'clock tip. NBC Sports Philadelphia, 97.5 The Fanatic, Sixer Radio Network affiliates everywhere. And the NBA on TNT will be in the house too. Sixers trying to advance later on tonight. We'll have a rewind edition of the podcast coming for you on Wednesday, so be sure to keep a lookout for that in your feed. Talk to you next time. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.